happy to be in the house of God today. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to go, I want to read two passages of scripture and then we'll be seated. Psalm 113. We'll read two passages, we'll pray, and then we'll be seated. And I want to go Psalm 113 and I want to start with verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? That question has been just in my spirit for a while now. Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Going over to 1 Samuel 2, verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Amen. Hallelujah. God, we thank you. And you are here, Father. Since you are here, God, we know we are in the right place. I pray now, God, that we would tune into heaven. God, that we would focus on you and your holiness, God. Open our ears, open our eyes, that we may see you freshly, God, anew. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have your seats. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Today, I want to exalt the name of God. Today, I want to lift up Jesus. Amen. I want to exalt the glorious name of God today. I want to talk about the holiness of God. And I want to talk about being in the presence of a holy God. Because our view of God determines how we think and how we live. And a proper understanding of who God is should radically change our life and should mark us for life. Amen. So today... I want to really hone in on someone who had an encounter with God and it just radically changed him, and that's the prophet Isaiah. And then I'll give you a little background. Um, he was A judgment was being pronounced in Isaiah 5 against Israel because they had backsliding. They had, and not just any backsliding, apostatized. They walked away from God. They, they, some of them did not trust God anymore. They turned their back on God and there's some judgments being pronounced in Isaiah 5. And I want to start there. Isaiah 5, 20, it says, Woe or judgment to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing intoxicating drink who declare the wicked innocent for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Now, there's so much more in chapter 5, but I wanted to focus on those. It sounds a lot like America right now. We're calling those things that are good evil and those things that are evil, we're calling them good. We're accepting them. We're affirming them. We're approving them in this country. And if we hop hop on to chapter 6, This is where I'm really focusing. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. I want you to picture this. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook 
at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Amen. Now we have a little background. We have King Uzziah who, who ruled and reigned Israel for 52 years. And there was peace and prosperity in the land. They were serving God. They were acknowledging God. Everything was well in the land. Sounds like where America came from, right? Peace and prosperity. Everyone trusting in God. Well respected. He, he was well respected. Israel had this peace from their enemies. There was a sense of comfort. But they were about to find out that you cannot depend on human rulers alone. And when King Uzziah died and he was killed by God. I want to make a note of that. God allowed him to get leprosy and he went off in isolation and he died and it's because he took an incense a censer and went into the altar pretending to be like a priest and to offer it on the altar to God but that was only reserved for the priests. I think he got a little beside himself I think he felt like I'm a king I can do what I want to do right and I think that because of that there's another parallel to America we have feel like we can do things without God that we don't need to worship God anymore. We don't need to, to obey God's word anymore. We don't need to serve God anymore. And we go and try to do things in our own strength. And this is a lesson for us. Israel's enemy, Assyria, in the north, they, they could now evade Israel. And the people were shook to the core. The people were rattled now that King Uzziah, the one they were looking for to solve all their problems and continue to bring that comfort they were experiencing. He's gone now. He's died. And there is a time of crisis in Israel. And Isaiah, the prophet, was shaking his head, looking for a solution, wringing his hands. What do I do? Well, he didn't go to a person. He went to the house of God. He was looking for a solution, and there's only one place that he went to, and that was the sanctuary of God. Not an earthly king to solve the problems, because the problems were much deeper. He was looking for God in the midst of a crisis, and if there ever was a time for a vision of God or for God's presence, it is now. It is today. It is now because we are in a crisis in America. And I'm not just talking about a financial crisis, although we are in a health crisis. I'm not talking about any kind of political crisis or a division in this country because we are in that. But what I'm talking about is a sin crisis. I am talking about a sin problem. I am talking about sin sickness that only has one cure, that only has one remedy, and that is to Jesus Christ. Amen? Because... Because we have turned our backs as a country on God, that is why we're in the mess that we're in right now. And we need a great awakening. We need to turn back to God. And I think Isaiah can give us something, not necessarily for the whole country as a whole, but I'm looking at us as believers. Because we talk about revival all the time, but is it happening in your life? Because if we're expecting someone else to bring it, it's not coming. It has to happen in your life. And it starts with repentance. Amen. So, I want to break this down in Isaiah 6. He said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Can you get an imagery on that? He, he said, I saw the Lord, and he, was, he wasn't on the ground, he wasn't standing, he was seated on the throne. Meaning, he is sovereign. Meaning he is still in control. And at a time of crisis, even in your life, we're in this country and we think 
everything is going crazy, right? And I can read headlines and look on the internet and it just grieves my spirit. You may wonder, is God in control? You may wonder, does God really even care? And I'm sure Isaiah and the children of Israel were wondering the same thing because they're in this crisis. But he said, I saw the Lord on the throne. That means he's still on the throne then. He's still on the throne now. He is sovereign. He's in control. It may look like it's out of control, but I reassure you that God is still on the throne. He's in control. Amen. And so he's still in charge. And in Isaiah's day, he was in charge then and he is in, he's still in charge now. And so he's seeing God in all his shining brilliance. And I also want to point out the seraphim. Seraphim translated means flaming or burning ones. These were angels set apart for God. They're like guardians of his holiness and they serve God and they're humble and they worship him all the time. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy to one another is the Lord of hosts. This is how they are describing God. It is the only attribute or characteristic in the Bible that is repeated three times. They could have said love, 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 and God is that. They could have said faithful, 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 righteous, 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 whatever, uh, omnipresent. They could have said all these things, but the one attribute that they said three times for the Trinity was holy, holy, holy. Because if God is not first holy, he cannot love. He cannot be just. He cannot be righteous. He cannot be omniscient, omnipresent. He can't be all these things if he is not first holy. Everything, all his other attributes flow from holiness. It is him being holy. So that brings me to what is holiness. And I'll tell you, as admitting, as a finite person, the finite mind, I cannot fully comprehend, much less explain in the short time that I have. But by the grace of God, I will do what I can with the scriptures to say that God is holy. And I want a mental picture. I want a spiritual picture. I want us to get it fixated in our mind. And I pray that we are marked forever and that it will never lead to understand that in our day to days, while we're at work, school, wherever we're at, going to the supermarket, God is holy. And you serve a God that is holy. And you shall worship a God who is holy. And you shall fear a God who is holy. And we shall not play around and mess around and get into all kind of sin. And instead of acting like we are holy, we will actually be holy because we have seen a holy God. Because there's absolutely no way, no way that we can remain the same if we get an understanding of what he is and who he is. And so what does it mean to be holy? It means to be separate. It means to be set apart. It means sacred. In the Hebrew, it means sacred, set apart. It means set apart from all created beings, distinct, unique, completely different. He's not like us. He is not common. We have made him and his name just common. You you ask the average person, they believe in God? Yes, but what kind of God do they believe in? The kind of God you believe in will be reflected in the way you live. If you believe a God that just just overlook sin and you can just do what you want to do. That is not the God of the Bible. If you believe a God that judges sin, amen, and sent his son to die on the cross and punish sin on the cross, putting our iniquities on Jesus, then you believe the God of the Bible and that forgiveness is only through the blood of Jesus. You believe the God of the Bible. Outside of that, you have a false doctrine. You have a false imagery of God. So what is it? It means to be separate. God never had a beginning. He's so unique. If you ask, 
Who created God? Who made God? The answer is nobody made God. God simply is. He always was. He always is. He always will be. He had no beginning. In the beginning was God. Period. In the story. Amen. They didn't have to write anything else. In the beginning was God. That's it. And it's not like, just try to wrap your mind around this. Before, he's outside of time and space. In the beginning was God. Wrap your mind around this. He did not even have to create us. He didn't have to create beautiful trees and flowers and everything that we see. He did not have to create the planets and the stars, the moon and the sun. He didn't have to create any of those things. But because he's God and he desires a relationship, he decided to create. It wasn't like God is sitting up there saying, I'm lonely. I I need something to see. I need somebody to be with. He didn't have all that because he's all sufficient. That was nothing that he needed, nothing that he desired. But here it is. He created you not because he needed to create you, because he needed companionship. He created you because he wanted to create you. He wanted that relationship. He desired that relationship. And we are image bearers of God. We are to proclaim the goodness of God. We are to show the holiness of God everywhere we go. The holiness of God refers to his majesty and his perfect moral purity. Paul told Timothy, he said, um, he dwells, that God dwells in an unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Exodus thirty-three twenty says, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Why? Because he's not like us. He is who he says he is. Whether someone believes him or not, it does not change who he is. Whether someone believes anything differently about him, it doesn't threaten his character. It doesn't change anything about him. The atheist can shake his fist at God and say that he does not exist, but it does not change who God is. We can say, God, I don't see you. God, I don't believe you. But it does not change the fact that he is who he is and he is existing. When Moses, when Moses was called to go back to Egypt, he said, who shall I send, uh, say and has sent me? And he says, I am that I am. Tell him I am sent you. I am that I am. Well, who are you? I am the unapproachable. I am the holy. I am the one who existed before time. I am who you say I am. I am holiness. I am righteous. I am mercy. I am who I am. You cannot explain me fully. You cannot put me in a box. You cannot confine me and say this is who I am. Because I am that I am. James 1.17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is what? No variation. There's no shadow due to change. There's no shifting. There's no change. And in darkness personifies evil in the Bible. Well, the Bible is telling us very clearly there's not the slightest trace of evil in God. None at all. In the beginning, he declared after each day, that it was good. You'll see after day one, it was good. After day two, it was good. For him to say that something is good must mean that he is good. The absolute standard of moral perfection. Or else he would not be able to declare that something is good. If he was imperfect or if he was unholy. But he was pure, sinless. And there's absolutely no sin or evil thought in God at all. He is the standard. He is the sum of all moral excellence. And he is separated from all things and all creatures that are not morally perfect. See, he is separated from sinners and sin and sin cannot dwell in his presence. It it literally could not sin could literally not 
dwell in his presence because it would evaporate and destroy the sinner. That's how holy he is. He can't tolerate sin. He hates sin. He hates it so much that he punished sin on the cross when he poured out his wrath on his only begotten son. We need to understand that. He poured his anger out of sin, the sin I've done, the sin I've thought of. He poured that out on his son who was totally blameless, totally innocent. And he did that for you and he did that for me. Amen. So God is unique. He's unapproachable by anything that is not pure like himself. Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? We hear all these false gods out there, these false teachings. But who is like the Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And even in Exodus, the Lord God told Moses that he was going to come down on Mount Sinai. And he said, you need to establish boundaries or the people are going to die. Look at Exodus 19, verse 12. He shall set limits for the people around them, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Listen, it, it was, God's holiness was on that mountain because God was there. It's so different than what we experience now, right? We know God is here. But yet a lot of us don't even pay attention to the voice of God. We don't even worship God. But we are in a holy temple right now. If it wasn't for Jesus, we would all die right now. Because we're not approaching him the way we should be approaching him. Do you understand grace, how good grace is, and how grace has allowed us to continue to live in the land of living without us just dropping dead like that? Oh, I hope you understand this because he hasn't changed. He is the same God. When Moses met with him and got the Ten Commandments and he came down Mount Sinai, his face was glowing. Why? Because he had been in the presence of the Lord. He's holy. He's perfect. And we are so sinful. The best righteousness we could ever offer compared to a holy God is as filthy rags to him. So we cannot approach him. We cannot see God with our natural eyes. All Moses got was a glimpse of his backside and he was lit up. Didn't even see his face because he would have died. Look at 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John 1, 18. No one has ever seen him but who? The unique one, which is Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This is how we know about God, because Jesus has seen God the Father face to face, and he has revealed him to us in the form of man. Hebrews 1.3, he is, talking about Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high because Jesus lived in perfection. He was a holy human. He was 100% God, 100% man. He lived as a human, but yet without sin. He was righteous. Amen. He fulfilled the standard, the holy law of God. And guess what he did? He imputed his righteousness on us. Imputed means to post or to give and pass on to one another's account. Our account was bankrupt. Our account was sinful. And he passed righteousness onto us to fill up our account with his righteousness. Because he took our sins. Listen, a beautiful exchange. He took our sins 
that kept us away from God and gave us his righteousness so that we can be in the presence of God. Amen. Second Corinthians 521 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that what in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He did it for our sake. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He took our wrath. He took the place of wrath that should have been poured out on us so that we can be seen as pure and covered by his nature. And listen, that access we get to God is only because of the grace of God. What God's holiness has demanded, his grace has provided through his son, Jesus Christ. Look at what the presence of God did to the temple in verse four with Isaiah. I don't know if that's going to come up on the screen or not. Might be having some troubles there. But I'll read it. It says, and the foundations of the thresholds shook in the temple. The physical pillars shook just at the voice of God who called and the house was filled with smoke. You know, the Bible says that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. That your body is the temple of the living God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you have become born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you and dwells in you, and your body becomes the temple of the living God. If his voice would shake an actual temple, it should shake this physical temple that we have right now. Listen, if the presence of God really dwells in us, then we should be shook by the fear of God. We should be filled by the spirit of God. It's not a thing to take lightly because God is still speaking today through his word. He speaks to our heart. He speaks to our mind. His word is speaking and testifying. And it should shake us at the core. We should not just take his word casually. Like, like Johnny was saying, we shouldn't just read the word. We have to obey the word. And when you do that, you start living for God. And it's not going to be the same. I'm telling you in for a wild ride if you've never done it. I'm telling you right now, you can take his word and you can test it. You can take it to the bank. And it is is true. It is not false. It is true. That is how you can prove God exists. You prove God exists by taking his word and obeying it and living it out. And you will see that it is what it is. So you look at Isaiah's reaction to all this. All right. He's in this temple. There's a crisis going on. What do I do? I see the Lord high and above, and now I'm getting a peek into heaven, and the seraphim are chanting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and and, and things begin to shake, and the, the temple is filled with smoke. I mean, if that happened here right now, some of us would just run out of here, right? Because we don't know what's happening. It's, it's a scary sight. And his reaction to this in verse 5 says, woe is me. Notice he was talking about the sins of the nation, woe is this, woe unto them, woe unto them. Now he's looking at him. Woe is me. I'm no longer looking at everybody else and pointing out what they're doing wrong, but I'm looking at me and what I'm doing wrong. Amen. You want to experience the presence of God in your life? Start examining yourself every single day and seeing where you fall short of the glory of God. Because the person who does not do that is living in pride. But if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, you will look at yourself in the mirror of God's word. And God's going to point out the blemishes. He's going to point out the faults. But not to just beat you over the head, but to show you where you come short. So you will rely on God more than you will rely on yourself. And Isaiah's reaction... I promise you, Isaiah's reaction is not a joyful one. It's a fearful one because he's in the presence of God. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. 
and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He said lips because obviously he's a prophet and he was speaking God's words and he, he sees it. I'm not even worthy to be an instrument or a vessel. He says, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Now that word lost is not just some word to just casually glance over. In the Hebrew, it means cause to cease. It means cut off from the sight or the appearance of God. It means undone. It means ruined. It means, or you could say like this, I am falling apart. I am going to pieces. The prophets say it, I'm going to pieces because I'm a man of unclean lips. Compared to the presence of God, I am filthy. I am ruined. I am destroyed. My eyes have seen God and I am dead. I am ruined. I am destroyed. I'm left undone. I can't pick up the pieces because I'm in the presence of a holy God. I saw the king and if the king saw me, he saw sin. That means I am done. I'm ruined. Do you understand the weight of this? The weight of this. If it's not for Jesus, then when he looks at us, he sees nothing but sin and we are in danger of hell. But because of Jesus, he has covered us. He became our scapegoat. He has covered us. And when God now looks at us, he sees the righteousness of God because of Christ Jesus. And therefore, his wrath, his judgment is not poured out on us because he poured it out on Jesus. I don't think we understand that enough. You know, we come to church looking, looking to get our ears tickled. We come to, to find out how we can be successful in our business, how we can just grow and, and get the blessings of God and do all these things. You already got the blessing of God. The blessing of God is you don't have to go to hell. You're going to heaven to be with God forever. That is the blessing of God. Amen. Hallelujah. But Isaiah is saying, I'm dead, I'm ruined. And God wanted, wanted Isaiah to know he's really in charge. Because Uzziah is gone now. The earthly king is gone. You can't look to him anymore. He's not the king anymore. It's the king of kings, Lord of lords. He's God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so whenever our view of God, whatever it is, is going to be the foundation of our life. If you think God is, is unfair, if you think God is unloving then you'll live a life of rebellion. But if you think God is holy and he should want one to be worshipped, one to be feared, you will be obedient to his word. But some of us fall in between. We come to church and we don't think about God. We think about our connections and relationships and people who we know. And that's fine. We can have that in our mind too and you can't wait to see somebody. But what if we came with the mindset when we come to the house of God, I can't wait to see God and worship God on the throne. I promise you, your week will be different. I promise you that in Jesus' name. Now, A.W. Tozer had this really good quote. He said, what comes to our minds, into our minds, when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's going to determine how we live. It's going to determine how we think. It, listen, a proper understanding of who God is should radically change our lives and we should never be the same. A proper understanding. I, I, I just exhort you today, if you've never done this, and in fact, it should be, you talk about reading the Bible every year. Yes, you should. And I want to say this, read the Bible to get to know God. Amen. Don't read the Bible because you need an answer to prayer. Read the Bible to get to know God. And you won't be just shifted to every wind of doctrine. You won't be just in here and out there and just all up and down emotionally. Why? Because God is the stabilizer. If you understand his character, 
Come on, if you understand his character and study his character, I'm just showing you a very, very tiny grain of sand of his holiness. But if you really worship him and understand his attributes, I promise you it's going to change your relationship with God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Our view of God and his holiness should change our lives. Amen. The Bible records many who are in the presence of the Holy God, and then encountered an encounter that left him changed forever. I'm only going to talk about a few. Um, mentioned, I mentioned Moses earlier. When he's at the burning bush and he sees this bush that's not consumed, it really sparked his curiosity. And, the, and God spoke from the bush and said this, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Is holy because God is now there. Probably wasn't holy before then. No one cared about it. It's just an ordinary bush. But now God is there. And it's a whole different story. Verse 6. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I'm a generational God. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. (laughs) We just don't approach God. We can't just approach him anyway. Moses didn't. In Luke 5, we see Jesus, uh, or, or excuse me, Peter didn't approach him in any way. The disciples are out there fishing, toiling all night. Jesus comes up, says, cast your net on the right side and you'll catch fish. And they had a whole boatload. They couldn't even pull in. The net was breaking. And look what Peter's response was. He said, when it said, when Peter saw it, he saw this miracle. He fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. He could have rejoiced and said, thank you for all the fish. We got fish for days. We can eat for the whole month or whatever. And he could have praised and that would have been probably a proper response. But the most necessary response was worship. The most necessary response was realizing this is not an ordinary man right now. What he did, nobody else can do. I am ruined in his sight. I am sinful compared to him. And I'm going to bow down and worship him right now. Glory to God. When the disciples were on a boat and there was a storm, they saw Jesus walking on the water. And the Bible says they were terrified and they thought it was a ghost. Listen, they were more terrified of Jesus than they were of the storm, and rightfully so. The storm in your life, the trials you go through, instead of being so scared of the trial, why don't you be scared in a reverential fear of who God is and know that God is in control? Because I promise you this. If we are not submitted to God, God is more terrifying than any hurricane, any tornado, any storm you might be going through in your life. God is more terrible than that. And he could do more damage. Amen. We must have a proper respect of God. Paul had an encounter with this holy God and he got slapped off his beast and blinded. He was on his way to kill Christians. But after this encounter with God, he stopped persecuting Christians and he started preaching the gospel. An encounter with God will change your life. So we can go on and on in the Bible and we see many, many people who had encounters with God and they were all changed forever. They had a reverence. They had a holy fear. And this is the proper view of God we need today. I wonder sometimes, have we lost our view of God? Have we lost our wonder? Have we lost our 
at just astonishment and amazement at how awesome God is. I remember a couple years ago when my children took their first plane flight. They got on the plane and they got up to the windows and they're taking pictures and they're just in awe and they're like looking at the mountains and the and the land and like, oh my gosh, and they're just they just lit up, right? And I'm over here casually thumbing through a book, reading, relaxed, right? This is my time to maybe nod off. Because why? I've been on a plane many times. I'm not at the window anymore. I'm not astonished like they are anymore because I've seen this many times. I think sometimes that's the same way it is with us. We've been in church long enough. We've been saved long enough that we have lost the wonder of God. We're not at the window anymore with our eyes lit up saying, oh, my gosh, are you seeing this? We, we were when we got saved. We would tell people about Jesus. But now it's just become religion. Now it's become dead. Now it's become casual. And we don't talk about Jesus as excited as we did before. And God is saying, don't lose that wonder. Don't lose that awesome excitement that you had before. On Christmas Day, you know, the kids are going to be excited to open up the gifts. But we should be excited about the real reason for the season and just get excited about God all throughout the year and that should be what draws people to the Lord because what change would it be if people saw us really excited about God more than we are about the Cowboys and I'm a big Cowboys fan they saw us more of excited than we saw the latest movie they saw us more excited about that dinner that we had last night or and we'll talk about those things but what about talking about God and listen you can't talk about God if you don't spend time with God you must Spend time in the presence of God. Amen. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I was just the other day, and this is, this. I promise you, I'm not, this is no boasting. I spend time with the Lord frequently. I have to, right? And I, I get in his presence. I make it a habit to get in his presence. I, I just know it works better that way. Trust me. I've kicked against the prick. I've battle with God and I just realized I need to be in his presence. Well, the other day, you know, I had been feeling a lot of discouragement and the other day I just was just focusing in on God's holiness, just worshiping him and just thinking of how good he is. And like, there's no other God beside you, God. I'm just thinking of all these scriptures, right? And all of a sudden I began to weep uncontrollably. I mean, something just came over me and I couldn't stop it. I just started breaking down and crying. I feel like I'm going to do it right now. I just started breaking on the inside and crying because the holy presence of God walked in the room. And I don't know what you believe, but I know when the presence of God walks into a place. Amen. And and there was nothing I could do but cry and weep. Listen, men, it's okay to cry. I'm telling you right now, it's okay to worship God. It's okay to cry in his presence and just admit that you're undone. Amen. It's okay. So what should our response be to a holy God? It should be holy fear. Like Isaiah and others had. It should be repentance. Purification. A purging of sin. I want to look at verse 6. Isaiah 6. The one of the seraphim flew to him. Or flew to me. Having in his hand a burning coal. That he had taken from the tongs of the altar. Get this. The seraphim are, are literally flames. Right? But this is a coal that is so hot. They had to pick up tongs to take it out from the altar. And he touched my mouth. He put a coal to his mouth. To the prophet's mouth. Because he was speaking for God. And he said this. Behold this has touched your lips. And the guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. Hallelujah. Repentance must take place. Amen. If you are born again, there must 
be repentance. There has to be a change. And just like a hot coal touching lips has to be painful. I've never done it, but I could just imagine it would sear your lips off. So repentance, true repentance can be painful. It's going to cost you. It'll cost you your life. It might cost you your friends. It might cost you your reputation. Something's going to have to die if it is true repentance. Come on. It's got to. Something in you has to die because less of me and more of him. Something has to die. It'll cost you. And notice God is the one who is atoning Isaiah's sin, just like Christ. Cleansed and took away our sin and our guilt and our shame. We cannot do it for ourselves. Ephesians tells us that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is how you're saved. Not because you did anything or not because you're a good person. This is not your own doing. What? It is a gift of God. That is the greatest Christmas gift right there. The gift of God. Woo! Verse 9, it's not a result of works or good deeds. Helping ladies across the street, opening up doors, giving to charities, helping homeless, the good things. It's not going to get you to heaven. Why? God doesn't want anyone to boast and say that they made their own way. But you can be in ruins and say, I didn't do anything. It was all God. That's the proper position. Amen. So when a man or woman stands in the presence of God, there should be a feeling of unworthiness. I shouldn't be here. A brokenness should come over us and it should be painful because God owes us nothing but death. I think we need to understand that God doesn't owe us anything but death. But he chose to send his son to die for our sins and give us life and life to the abundance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what should our response be to the Holy God? It should be holy fear. It should be repentance. And it should be serving. Verse 80 said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, I want you to know Isaiah wasn't standing up like, I'm your man. Like, it's me, God. It's Yes, let's go. Like a war cry. This was not that. This was in fear and trembling. Here I am. Send me. Like, I don't know what to do, God. I don't know what you want me to say. I don't feel worthy to do that, but you called me and what I have encountered shook me to the core that there's nothing I can do but do what you told me to do because I'm scared. There needs to be, I pray right now, a holy fear just reside right here in this sanctuary, right where we're at right now. Yes, hallelujah, because I'm going to tell you what we're about to do. I'm going to tell you what we're about to do. We're about to come to the altar and give it all over to God and worship him like we should worship him. In fact, let's stand right now. God has called us to spread the word. The last scripture I'm going to read, Psalm 211. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Now just rest for a second. When in the presence of God, there has to be change. We cannot have an encounter with him and stay the same. Let's don't waste this Christmas. Let's make it more about his presence than the presence. More about his holiness than the holly. Let's make it more about the real reason that it's supposed to be. And that's Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice he made on the cross for you and I. If you're in here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, I exhort you by the spirit of God, get to know him today. 
I'm about to open up this altar, and I want you to come down here, and I want you to say, God, I give my life to you. Because an incredible God like that could have took you out a long time ago. I'm not talking about the devil. I'm not talking about circumstances. I'm talking about God Almighty himself. He has the power of life and death. He knows when you're going to draw your last breath, and he can take it away if he wants to. This is the one we should fear. Not the devil, not finances, not uncertainty. We should fear God, number one. Because if we don't fear God, we have no wisdom at all. So I'm going to exhort and counsel and, and, and just encourage you right now to drink of the living water, the well that never goes dry, that Jesus is offering freely right now. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have an education. You don't have to have some uh, pedigree or anything. All you have to have is a heart that surrenders. And God can work with that. If you're here right now, let's, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. If you're here right now and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, and you say, you know, all the stuff you're talking about, I've never had that encounter before. I want to change. I want my sins forgiven. Raise your hand right now. If you're in this house, you have never given your heart to Jesus. If you died tonight, today, you don't know where you would go. You think you would just go into oblivion or just into the grave, but you don't know where your spirit man will go. The Bible says absent from the body is present with the Lord. When you die, your spirit goes to heaven and it will be judged. It'll be judged for everything you've done down here. To receive mercy at the judgment seat is if Christ Jesus has paid for your sins and has covered you with the blood of Jesus. That's the only currency. If that is not applied right now over your sins, you need to raise your hand and say, I want to surrender to God. I want to ask everyone who's able to come to this altar right now and let's reverence God. Let's bow before him. We opened up the altar in the first service and, and it just kept on going. I want you to come bow before the Lord, lift your hands before the Lord. I want us to really worship the Lord. The worship team is going to lead us. I want us to understand that we are in the presence of a holy God. And this is not a time for us to be thinking about anything else but how good this God is and worship him in holy adoration and say, God, I thank you for calling me. I thank you for saving me. I thank you for who you are. So yes, come and bow. Come kneel before the Lord. Let's worship him. If you got to cry, men cry. It doesn't matter. No one cares. Just cry before God right now. Reach out to him with everything you got. Some of you are going through something right now that is so heavy. I promise you this. If you worship the God, you will begin to feel it lifted off of you and you will no longer be concerned about it, but you'll be concerned about giving God his worship. Come on, fill this altar. Fill this altar. Let's worship God. Let's worship him. Sing, sing, sing. God, you're holy. You're holy. No one like you. There'll be nobody like you. You are sovereign, God. God, we come against pride right now. We come against stubborn pride right now. And we will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We worship you, Jesus. We come in repentance. We say, God, forgive us. Forgive us, God, for our sins. Forgive us, God, 
for not fearing you like we should and honoring your name. Some of us, God, have lived like the world, Father, and still go to church. God, forgive us for conforming to the world. Help us to be distinct. Help us to be in the world, but not of the world. We worship you, Jesus. Come on, let's really sing. Let's really sing. Come on. Holy, holy, holy. He's holy. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands. Worship him. Lift your heart to his throne. Yes. Lift your heart unto God. If you feel like shouting, then shout unto God. He is here. He is here. He is here. Yes. Oh, we worship you, Lord. There's none like it, Jesus. There's none like it, Jesus. Oh, you're holy. There's none like it, Jesus. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Come on and let it out. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Show me your ways, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Open my eyes, Jesus. I'm not worthy, Jesus. So holy. Exalt him, exalt him, exalt him. No one like our God. No one like our God. Who is like our God? There is none like our God. He's holy. He's holy. He's holy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Yes. Yes. God, help us, Jesus. Come on, pour your heart out to him. Pour your heart out to him. Yes. 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 Unlike you, Jesus. Unlike you, Jesus. Oh, this unlike you, Jesus. Take us to our core, oh God. Take us to our core, Lord. Holy, holy, holy. You're worthy. God, you're worthy. Thank you, Jesus. 
God, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. You're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. Yes, God. You're worthy, Jesus. Yes, that's it. Come on, worship, worship, worship. Worship Him. No one like you. You are so good, God. You're so good, God. You're so good, God. Come on, tell him you love him. Tell him he's a good God. No one like you. know me I'm a quiet person I don't make much noise when I have an encounter with the living God and I think about what God has done for me I can't help but shout I have to let it out I don't care what anybody thinks about me but I'm going to tell you something there was a time I wouldn't lift my hands there was a time I wouldn't shout because I was worried what people thought about me but as I've gone on my walk with the Lord, and it's 20-something years now, I think it's getting worse in a good way, if that makes sense. Because I don't really care. Because when I worship, it's just me and Him. Just me and Him. So I make no apologies for the Holy Spirit. But I know some of you, 
Some of you out there right now are thinking, like, what is going on? And you probably never think you would shout. I used to think the same thing. I'm telling you. And I'm not saying God doesn't have a hold of your heart. I'm not saying that at all. I don't know your relationship with God. But all I can say is this. You have a real encounter with God. You might do that one day. I'm all for the quiet and reserved. That's the type of person I am. But every now and then, you got to let out a shout. Amen. It's not a shout for show. It's a shout because God is good. Lift up your voice with a voice of triumph and shout unto God. Hallelujah. Woo. Yes. Yes. Now listen, if you if you came to this altar to get saved, hang around. I hope y'all are not done up here, worship team. Because listen, if you if you need to go, go. But for a few more minutes, if you're here at this altar and you want to keep worshiping, listen, we need this time to worship God. We get so rushed in, in world in the worldly things and things that are good and we just got schedules and we busy, 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 busy. But you take time to just soak in the presence of God and just allow the Holy Spirit to touch your heart because I promise you when you do those things, it's going to mark you and change you and then you'll take it to your house. Husbands, you'll take it to your house. Fathers, and you will change the atmosphere there because when the presence of God comes in, the atmosphere changes. Hallelujah! I'm not telling you something I've read. I'm telling you something I've experienced. Worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Glory be to God Almighty. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God is here. I'm going to pray. If you need to get prayer, if you want to stay here and worship, please don't leave. All I'm going to do is pray. And allow those who need to go to be gone. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, God, for your presence. Your presence is heaven to me. Your presence is righteousness, God. There is joy in your presence, God. Everything we need is in your presence. And we don't want to ever leave your presence, God. So as some of us leave right now, Father, let us take your presence with us. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's keep worshiping. If you're here at the altar, keep worshiping God. Keep Pour your heart out to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless your name, Jesus. Exalt the name of the Lord with me. Hallelujah. Come on, let's exalt the name of God. Hallelujah. We don't have anywhere to go. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah.